We believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God that is sufficient for all that we need to know about God and worshiping him and knowing him and the truth of who he is. It's all sufficient without a single missing piece, right? Okay, we believe that God has worked through the hearts of the authors of the Bible throughout hundreds of years in different cultures and different languages to preserve what we need to know about God through the Holy Spirit. Now, the way the Holy Spirit works is uh, he works through the hearts and personalities and experiences of the authors. So this allows Paul and Peter and James, so to speak, to uh, all talk about the same basic things. But each one, through uh, their own personalities and experiences, bring their own flavor uh, to each uh, topic that maybe all three of them address, but when you look at it in Paul, it looks a little different than when you look at it in Peter, than when you look at it in James. Uh, the same is true in the Gospels. The Holy Spirit worked through the Gospel writers, through their own personalities, through their own experiences, and even through their sources to preserve for us what we need to know about the person and ministry of Jesus. Now, if you sit down and you look at the Gospels, some of the stories in the Gospels are, are consistent through all four stories. It's the same story in each different um, uh, Gospel. We see teachings of Jesus repeated in all four different Gospels. But we also see sometimes there's one story that's only mentioned in one of the four Gospels. We have to ask ourselves, why is this story here? Now, each one of these stories is a piece of the puzzle, right? We've got the whole puzzle that is God's word. And each verse, each word is a puzzle that, or a piece that goes together to make the, the giant perfect puzzle that is God's word. All of these pieces work together to assemble the revelation that God determined that we needed to know him, to trust him, to worship him, to love him, and obey him. Now, when we say that the scripture is sufficient, it means that the 66 books we have are enough. The 66 books that we have are enough. But just because it's enough doesn't mean we don't wonder, right? I mean, am I the only one that's ever wondered? Like, does anybody want a little more backstory on who Elijah is? Right? Tell me more, right? Or, or what happened on the ark? We, we know it went to sea. The floods came up, right? The rains came down and the flood came up, right? So, so like, we know that that happened. But what happened on the boat? Was there a mutiny, you know? Did the animals have an uprising that they had to keep down? Like, what was it? What happened on the boat, we, we, we look at the book of Acts and we see how God worked in the apostles. But what about all the apostles that never get mentioned again after Pentecost? Like, where'd they go? What happened? I want to know, right? But the word of God is sufficient. It tells us enough. It gives us the information that is essential for me to know God and for me to love him, to trust him, 
obey him, and worship him. So we wonder about those things that aren't there, but the other side of it means that the things we do have are meaningful. It means that there are some insights that we can find in stories that may seem rather trivial. Each recorded story in the Bible is another puzzle piece that helps us see God's big picture. So Cheryl read for us earlier uh, in the service, Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. Now, in the story that was read for us, Luke is the only gospel that records this story. Not only that, but Luke and Matthew are the only two that gives us so much as a clue about uh, about who Jesus was before he met John the Baptist, before we see John the Baptist come on the scene. Now, Matthew ends his story about Jesus' childhood uh, by telling of his family returning to Galilee after their flight uh, to Egypt when Herod said he was going to to kill all the children. Uh, So Matthew tells us that story, and then we see them return home, and Jesus is just a toddler. So in Matthew's account, we go from Jesus as a baby to Jesus as a toddler to Jesus as an adult. What about his childhood, right? What about when he was a kid? We have the perfect son of God. And remember when we talked about the the virgin birth week as we were going through the book of Luke, that he's fully God, he's fully human. What does it look like for fully God to be a kid? Like, talk about, tell me more, right? I want to know more about that. What was it like to have Jesus as a son? Now, I'm a little brother. Okay, I got two big brothers, two good big brothers. But what if your big brother was Jesus? I mean, my brothers would know Jesus. And, oh, hey, yes, amen, right? Okay, so we have one story. We have one story in all the Bible, one puzzle piece, one puzzle piece of what Jesus was like as a kid. One. There's a part of me that says that's not enough. There's a part of me that says it's probably good we don't know more, <laughs> right? So there's one, there's one puzzle piece, which means this story is important. It comes right here from Luke chapter 2. And this story gives us just a little hint at the answer to the question, what does it mean to be fully God and fully man and still be a kid? Now, when we think of Jesus as fully God and still a kid, I think things might get a little messy in our human brains. So the eternal God, think about that, eternal, no beginning, no end, was born, which implies some kind of beginning. It feels kind of like he had a beginning. As a baby, we know he got hungry and he cried and he had to have his diaper changed. He got thirsty. As Jesus grew, we know he got sad. I imagine Jesus got annoyed And he had the human feelings and emotions that we have. He had to learn, as a human, how to process those things. Jesus was even curious. Our passage that that we read earlier today said that Jesus was asking questions. And it seems like Jesus was probably asking a lot of questions. He was curious. The, The God of the universe was probably curious. He's the creator of all, and yet he still had to learn. He needed to learn how to walk. 
He needed to learn how to dress himself and make sure his clothes matched, right? He had to learn how to buckle his sandals. He had to learn how to cook. If his dad was a carpenter, so he had to learn. The guy who spoke and the stars came to be had to learn how to use tools to work with wood. You see how that like messes with your brain a little bit? The God of the universe had to grow. Now, how do we know that? Two verses from our passage today tell us this. Luke chapter 2, verse 40 and 52. It says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Look at verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. Part of what it means for Jesus to become human was to set aside the omnis of his eternal glory. So when I say omnis, what do I mean? All right, so Jesus had two natures, right? He was two in one, fully God, fully human. Human nature, divine nature. His divine nature was set aside, and he, in the man, human nature, was was fully human in all that that means. Okay, so the human nature of Jesus was not omnipresent, He wasn't everywhere. If he was everywhere, he wouldn't have been lost. See what I'm saying there, right? So he wasn't everywhere. The human nature of Jesus was not omniscient. He didn't innately know everything. He grew in wisdom. He asked questions. Jesus, uh, the human Jesus, was not even omnipotent which means he was not all-powerful. He couldn't just do whatever he wanted as a human. The human Jesus couldn't fly. The human Jesus couldn't lift a tank. He wasn't blade or bulletproof. It's weird to think about, isn't it? In his humanity, he was not these things. The, The human nature of Jesus was not immortal. How do I know? He died. I mean, it sounds pretty obvious, but he was fully man. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Now, we've read this passage before already in our Luke study, okay? And it's a passage I often read when we talk about humility. But now I want you to read this passage thinking about Jesus as a growing boy. Paul says this in in Luke 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Look at verse 7 here. But emptied himself, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So by putting on flesh, clothing himself in humanity, he emptied himself of some of his uh, divine power in his human form. We see this emptying happening. 
we see him limit himself or handicap himself so that he, it is to be one among us. So think of it like this, all right? Now, uh, my kids are small. We don't play basketball very often, but if we do, I tower over them. And if we wanted to play basketball for real, even this unathletic old man can crush my girls. I take a lot of pride in that. <laughs> so I could stand over them and swat the ball out of the air, you know, and not give them an opportunity to shoot. So if we wanted the game to be fair, I could spot them some points. I could play on my knees. There's all kinds of things that I could do to limit myself to relate to them. So that's a poor analogy, but what I want you to see here is there's this self-limiting factor that Jesus puts on himself, clothed in humanity, emptying himself of his advantage. I like the way the Holman translation uh, presents verse 6. It says that Jesus did not use his equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. He set that advantage he had aside and clothed himself with the limitations of humanity. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking, okay? Jesus did lots of miracles. He, he defied the laws of nature. He couldn't fly, but he could walk on water, right? So, all right, I know what you're thinking, okay? Jesus, he still was all-powerful. And to that, I want to say yes and no. Like, yes, absolutely in his divine nature, he's, he's all-powerful. But as a human being, uh, there, there was limitations on that. Let me, let me walk through this a little bit and, and express where I come, uh, come from on this. All, right, all these encounters with Jesus' miracles are absolutely expressions of his divine nature that prove that when Jesus says he and the Father are one, they prove that he's telling the truth. These miracles are proof that the man Jesus is one in divine nature with God the Father. But here's what I want you guys to see. All right, Jesus also tells us that God will use his power through us. So what do we see in John chapter 14, verse 12? John 14, verse 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Matthew chapter 21, verse 20 and 21, is, uh, comes after Jesus curses the fig tree. So he curses this fig tree, and then we have verse 20. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. We see Jesus here saying that the power of God will move through his people. Now, we don't have time today uh, to go through the book of Acts, but we know that the apostles worked many miracles like Jesus the book of Acts is filled with healing and the dead being raised and miracle escapes from prison and signs of power of God, right? These, these humans expressed the truth, the truth of, of their testimony through these signs. Similarly, the human Jesus limited his power. He emptied himself while he was on earth, but he had a perfect connection to the Father through the Holy Spirit. His miracles were a sign of his divinity because they testified that he was proclaiming the truth, just like the miracles of the apostles were a testimony to the fact that they proclaimed the truth. Now, I, I took that rabbit trail because I don't want us to lose, fat, uh, lose track of the fact that Jesus was still divine 
as we look at his humanity. Jesus is fully divine, fully human. We need to understand that part. But his humanity is limited. Jesus, the human, had to grow up. It's just weird to say, isn't it? Jesus, the human, had to grow up. Now, when we think about the sufficiency of Scripture, that means we know enough. We have enough information. So as much as we might like to know more about what it was like for Jesus to grow up, as much as we would like to know what it would have been like to be Jesus' brother or sister, Scripture doesn't tell us that. It gives us one story from when Jesus was 12. One story from when Jesus was 12. And it tells us that Jesus grew. It tells us that he grew. How do we know that Jesus grew? Because sometimes Jesus did things that a kid would do. Sometimes Jesus did things that a kid would do. So parents, I, I want to I tell you something that I often need to tell myself. Okay, listen to this. A child acting like a child is not necessarily a sin. Parents, hear me. All ears, right here. A child acting like a child is not necessarily a sin. That word necessarily is really important because sometimes it is, okay? But sometimes when a child acts like a child, it's not a sin. Let me say it a different way. A child that acts within the wisdom they possess is not sinning. I'm going to say that one more time. A child that acts within the wisdom they possess is not sinning. Okay, now, my two oldest children are in the room, and I kind of want to ask them to leave, okay? But we're, 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 we'll keep pressing on, right? Okay, so, so when we look at the story of Jesus being left behind in Jerusalem, it's so easy for us moms and dads in the room to say, Jesus really should have known better, right? Like we take, I do anyway, I'm, maybe I'm speaking for the whole room here and I'm wrong, but I take Mary and Joseph's side in this. Like, what's wrong with that kid? That's when my first instincts go. We might be thinking, come on, Jesus, use some common sense here, bro, right? The thing is, Jesus is 12. He's, he's 12. I have a 12-year-old. She is one of the most responsible 12-year-olds I've ever met. But you know what? She's 12. And she thinks like a 12-year-old. Sometimes it's tempting to think that she should make the same decision that an adult would because she generally acts responsible and has a level head. But sometimes that 12-year-old wisdom comes out and it's just not quite what an adult would do. Church. That's not a sin. A 12-year-old acting within 12-year-old wisdom is not a sin. When Jesus missed the caravan home, he was acting like a 12-year-old. Have you ever thought about that before? He was acting like a 12-year-old. 
Now, as I thought about this passage, there were just so many details that the story doesn't give us. And I just spent five minutes talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, okay? So I'm sitting here going, how do, I, how do we get here when we don't know the story that happened? We know that Jesus was the Son of God from birth. We know that Jesus was perfect. So in the interaction we have between Jesus and his parents, we know that Jesus was never dishonoring of his parents. We know that. So how does this story go? What happened? What's the rest of the story? How can we get a handle on this interaction and understand that Jesus didn't sin, that he was just being 12, that he was just being a boy who needed a little more wisdom? I want us uh, to consider a way this possibly could have gone down. Okay, so this is just my musings and imagination. But in, in a way, I think it matches up with what we have in the text. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to give you guys a story that is a little artistic license here using my imagination of what I think maybe something in this neighborhood could have happened. So let's look at verse 49 first. Verse 49 says, And he said to them, this is Jesus, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? What's that one verse tell us? Where did Jesus want to be? The temple. What was his desire? His desire was to be in the temple. They'd been in Jerusalem for a while for the Passover festival. They'd probably spent some time in the temple. This would have been a, a place familiar to him. Uh, we found earlier in the text that they went there every year. So Jesus was familiar with coming to Jerusalem. He would have known the temple, spent some time there. He loved it there. Now look at verse 30, 43 and 44. Earlier in the story, it says, And when the feast ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search among their relatives and acquaintances. So how could this have happened? Now, we got to put ourselves in this situation. Now, okay, my family, we often go to mom's house uh, after, uh, mom and John's house, after, after dinner, or after church, right? We leave here and we go there. And it's a madhouse because we got all kinds of cars going over there. So how, how, how does that work? Like, okay, my kids come up to me and say, hey, I'm with Dave. Hey, I'm with Becca. Hey, I'm with Lila. And I'm just like, I'm just trusting in the Lord that they're all going to end up there. So when I leave, I look around, and if there's any kids, they come with me. If there's not, I go by myself. I know firsthand just how easy it would be to leave somebody. And we've been doing this for 15 years, and have we left anybody? Uh, one of the kids says yes. All right, so it's happened. It's happened. All right. As a child, acting like a child. Uh, okay, so uh, it doesn't happen very often, though. But anyway, we, we can understand how this might happen. So in my mind, how does this story go? How might this story have unfolded? All right, so I could just imagine Jesus getting up that morning, and they're about ready to leave Jerusalem, and Jesus says, hey, Mom, I'm going to the temple with, I don't know, Uncle Malachi this morning. Okay, we're going to run down to the temple. Me and Uncle Malachi are going down to the temple. And Mary says, okay, honey, but don't forget, we're headed home today. And he says, you bet, Mom. And they head out, and they go down to the temple. They get to the temple, and Jesus is talking, and Malachi is like, what is this kid? You know, he's sitting off in the corner. He says, hey, Jesus, I got to fix that wobbly wheel on my wagon before we get out of town. Do you know how to get back? 
Yeah, so Uncle Malachi, he takes off, and he goes out, and he's, he's going to go fix the wheel. Now, Jesus is in the temple, and he is talking to the teachers and the, the priests, and he is just having a good time, and one hour turns into two hours, and two hours turns into three, and three hours turns into four, and Jesus is getting a little hungry, and one of the priests says, hey, have some bread. Hey, we got some leftovers from the feast this week. Just, just hang out. All right, and the next thing uh, they know, they just keep visiting with each other, and, and, and Jesus is learning a lot. He's got so many questions, and he's lost in this world of learning. How many of you guys know of a kid that can just disappear into whatever they're doing? doesn't matter if it's video games, if it's a book, if it's playing with their friends. Lose all track of time, because that's what kids do, right? I mean, that sounds like a 12-year-old. So it rolls to about 2 in the afternoon. And somewhere around there, I'm imagining Jesus goes, my family hasn't come to get me yet. I bet they decided not to go today. Doesn't that sound like a 12-year-old? Something must have come up, and my family decided not to go today. So we're just going to keep rolling. So Jesus is there. He's like, I told Mom I was going to be at the temple. I'm at the temple. I'm where I said I was going to be. Let's keep going. Okay, so the night goes on, and the sun starts to set, and Jesus says, hey, guys, i got to take off. I'm going to go find my parents and check in with them, let them know I'm okay. And he goes back to the place, wherever they were staying, and he looks around, and no one's there. Now you got, I mean, Jesus was still a kid, right? He's still a 12-year-old. You know he was like, they left me. I can't believe they left me. And he's, he's got, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Well, I told him I was going to be at the temple. If I tried to run him down now, who knows? Maybe, maybe mom and dad are running around town trying to find me. If I leave, maybe we pass on the highway. They're coming into the city. I go out the wrong gate. I'm just going to sit put. Just really smart kids. Really smart. So he goes back to the temple, and he decides to wait it out there. Now, imagine you're Mary and Joseph. How's this go? All right, so it's time to pack up and go. And Mary says to Joseph, hey, have you seen Jesus and, and Joseph says, listen, he was with Uncle Malachi. Jesus knows the plan. Uh, we got to go. He'll, he'll catch up. They'll catch up with us. So the caravan takes off, and they get to lunch. And then here comes Uncle Malachi. And, and Joseph's like, yo, Malachi, where's Jesus? And he says, oh, I, I don't know. Uh, I left him at the temple, but I reminded him that we are about to leave. And then Malachi goes on and says, listen, Joseph, you know Jesus is a good kid. Some of the group got a late start. I know that he's been running around all week with that kid. What's his name? You know, uh, Asher's boy. I think his name's Eli. He's been running around all week with Eli. I bet he's back there running out with him. I know Asher said he had to buy some new shoes before he left Jerusalem. They're going to be a little bit behind us. You just wait. He's, he's probably with them. So the night comes, and they're all at the camp, and they're chilling for the evening. And Eli walks by. And Joseph goes, yo, Eli, you seen Jesus? And he says, not since yesterday. And that's the moment when the panic starts to set in, right? And Joseph's like, oh, no. I got to go talk to Mary. And he does the whole walk of shame over to Mary. And he says, hey, Mary, uh, Jesus isn't in the group. I think we might have left him in Jerusalem. And like, you know, like mom goes full mama bear mode at that mode, at that moment, right? She's like, ah, where's my kid? So she starts going to all the different fires around the camp. She's talking to everybody. Have you guys seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? And everybody's like, not since yesterday. 
And she's like, oh, no. So she makes arrangements with the family and says, hey, I need you to watch the other kids. Joseph and I are going to go back to Jerusalem and see if we can find Jesus. So they get up. It's night. They get up the next morning. They hike all. So they've been gone a whole day. They got to now walk a whole day back to Jerusalem. And you know they're booking it. So they, they get there early in the evening. And they start looking around the place where they stayed. And Joseph's a smart guy. And he goes, listen, we got to call it a night. We'll just look for Jesus in the morning. So they get a place to stay, and, and then they start thinking, and they're like, you know, he said he was going to the temple. He's probably at the temple. Let's go check at the temple. So they get up the next morning, day three, and they go to the temple. And they're asking around, hey, have you seen a, a 12-year-old boy just running around? Nobody, no adults with him, you know? And they run into this Levite. And you can just imagine this Levite says, yeah, Jesus, I, I know where he is. I, I just left. He's over there. And you see this like crowd of people around this boy, and they're they're talking to each other, and and this they're they're talking to this Levite, and this 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 Levite says, uh, he's over there talking to that group of rabbis. You know that is some special boy you have there. The way he talks about Torah, I have never heard anybody say the things he says. Hey hey, who's his rabbi back in Nazareth? Maybe I know this guy. You know, like you could just imagine how this goes, and all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph are like. That's so sweet, you know, like my boy. And so they start to walk over to where this crowd is. And then Jesus is sitting there and he catches his mom out of the corner of his eye. And he's like, hey, hey, mom. And then in that moment, what happens? Like all that pride of, of Mary, of like my, my son, all these people are listening, melts away. And in that moment, what happens? Like all the emotion comes right back. And what do we see happen in verse 48? And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son. Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I mean, you can just see it, right? Like, boy, what's wrong with you? We've been a worried mess for days. How could you do this to us? And Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? I mean, isn't that the perfect 12-year-old answer? Right? Like, he reminds them that he was exactly where he would want to be and where they should expect him to be. And in my story, which isn't true, it's where they left him. Mary says, you made your father and I a nervous wreck. And Jesus says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And when he says that, what's he doing? He's gently correcting his parents He's, he's letting them know whose son he really is. What should they expect from him? That he's going to want to be in his father's house. That he's hungering and thirsting to know more about the word of God and who God is. And he kindly says to Mary and Joseph, this is what you should have expected. Expect that I am going to be about my father's business. What does he say to his parents? Expect that I, that, that I will be about my father's business. Now look at how Luke closes out the childhood of Jesus. It says in verse 50, And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So parents, what, what this last little verse here should remind us is Jesus made this mistake once. Okay, he learned. He learned. Kids, you got to learn. Each of these moments is a teaching opportunity. So he submitted to his earthly parents and he grew and increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Mary and Joseph didn't get it yet, though. As much as they understood, and they understood more than most, they still didn't get it. Jesus' mission was still a mystery to them. But as they encountered these things, these moments where Jesus was special, where he stood out, where he showed those glimpses of his divinity, Mary treasured these things up in her heart. Luke tells us that even though she didn't understand, she knew that Jesus was special. She didn't fully know all the plans that God had for her, but she knew God was at work. As Carla Sturdivant and I uh, talked about this passage this week, she said this to me. She said, God does not always clue parents in on his plans for their children. I thought, man, I've got young kids that are about to be teenagers. That's a pretty scary proposition that God may not clue us in to the plans he has for our children. God isn't always going to tell me his plans for my kids. But hear me on this. I think Mary and and Joseph made a, a pretty big, understandable, but still a pretty big and significant parenting mistake by assuming that Jesus was with them. They didn't fully understand the plans that God had for their child. They were imperfect parents, parents that made mistakes. But this, was a, this passage tells us that these parents were devoted to the Lord. They went to Jerusalem every year as was their custom. They may have had their, shorts, their shortcomings, but God still entrusted their son to them. They weren't the perfect parents, but God still entrusted his son to them. And you know what? Jesus turned out pretty okay. Now, I just want you to think about that for a second. Now, your children are not the son of God or the daughter of God. They're not. They they need the son of God. They need a savior, right? But here's my point. You, You don't have to be the perfect parent You're going to make mistakes. Jesus' parents left him behind in a big city by himself and did not realize he was gone for a day. Now say what you want about the cultural differences. He's 12, and it's a day. That's a long time. I love that the Bible gives us this story because you know what it tells us? There is grace for parents when we make a mistake. We can come back from these things. It's not over. You're going to mess up. But God's grace is good. And he will see you through. Have a humble heart. As a, uh, if Jesus could grow, so can we. Now just think about that for a second. 
If Jesus in his humanity can grow in wisdom, then what does that say for us parents? We can grow in wisdom. We don't have to make the same mistake twice. We have an opportunity to get it right in the future through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's also this. Do you see what Jesus did at the end of the story? His parents made a mistake. He's perfect. And yet, what's it tell us? That Jesus was submissive to them. I want you guys to hear me on this, kids, okay? There's going to come this point in your life where you're going to think, I know better than my parents. Jesus knew better than his parents. He was the son of God. He was the perfect kid. And yet he was submissive to his imperfect parents. He was the perfect kid and he was submissive to his imperfect parents. What does that mean, guys? It means it means that you're responsible to your parents even if you think you know what's right. They're your parents. And the excuse that you know better is not good enough. Because Jesus was the Son of God and he submitted to his earthly imperfect parents. So, man, that that should be encouraging to you guys that you can do it. And parents, it should also be encouraging to you that when you mess up, it does not undermine your authority. It certainly does not undermine your responsibility to your children. So what do we see in this passage? What's the big takeaway of today? All right, let's, let's look at the big takeaway. Jesus was the son of God, but he was still, in his humanity, just a normal 12-year-old boy. So if Jesus did normal 12-year-old boy stuff, then parents, we need to have grace for our children when they do normal, age-appropriate within the limits of their wisdom things, okay? We need to have patience for our children when they act like children. And parents, if Jesus' parents messed up, then so will you. So we must trust our children to God's grace. And as parents and children, we need to be growing in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and men. This story tells us anything. It's that as parents we grow up and as kids we grow up. And it is an opportunity for us to grow in grace and patience and forgiveness with each other. I have a feeling Jesus didn't say to Joseph and Mary at some point later on, yeah, well, remember that one time you left me in Jerusalem? You know, like there was grace extended and forgiveness extended, an opportunity for peace and restoration in the relationship. Don't lord each other's mistakes over each other. Be patient allowing each other to grow. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you give us a glimpse into what it was like in your childhood. Lord, we thank you that you show us that you are both fully God and fully man, and here we get to see your humanity on display. We thank you, Lord, that when we, when we think about you on the cross and raising from the dead, you are not some, some being that can't empathize with our weakness. But you know what it was to even be left behind by your parents, 
We thank you for that example. Lord, I pray that as moms and dads, we would have grace for our children when they do age-appropriate things. As children, I pray that we would be patient with our parents when they make a mistake. Father, I pray that for all of us, we would seek your heart, seek your face, and follow Jesus' example and desiring to know more so that we might grow in wisdom and in favor with both God and men. Father, I pray in all things we would keep our eyes on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this is our time of, of response. How do we respond to a teaching like this? Well, I'll tell you what, parents, if you have, have sinned against your kid, um, maybe held them to an unreasonable uh, expectation, then this is a time maybe to just uh, ask the Lord to search your heart and how you might uh, set things right with, with your children. Kids, if you have uh, been, uh, had not, not submitted to your parents' authority and been know-it-alls who, who think that, you know, in your pride, uh, you, can, you can make the right decision, then maybe it's an opportunity for you to, to repent and, and make things right with your parents. Maybe we all just need to say, hey, Lord, how are you working in my heart to make me humble, to realize that I need to grow? So however you need to respond, whether it has anything to do with this message or just some business you need to do with the Lord, the altar's open. We, we take our time, we sing two songs because we want you to be able to do business with the Lord however you may need to. And if you and the Lord are right, then this is a great opportunity for us to continue in worship. Adam, would you lead us? Please stay with us and let's worship him.